Welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Side of Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. Baseball is kind of negotiating right now. We're hearing about the proposals from the owners to the players. Nothing is really close. Things are pretty far off right now from what it seems. We're going to mention that at the beginning of the show, and then we're going to go into some other fun topics a take we saw on Twitter last night, and then we're going to talk about some one-year wonders. What could that mean? Stick around. We have a great show for you today. Adam, how you doing? Great. Good. Good to hear. All right, so let's just dive right into everything. So first of all, baseball news. We saw one of the proposals that uh, has been presented, or at least is going to be presented. There's, there's a lot of uh, back-and-forth talk right now, obviously, and it's it's kind of crazy to keep track of it all, but um, we've seen some of the terms of the proposals, and to me, not surprisingly, the players are not going along with it. Uh, the main issue, I think, is pretty clear, is the prorated salaries and how much is being deducted. So that's obviously a big issue between the two sides. And then, obviously, we have other logistics, too, that still need to be ironed out. I mean, I think one of the biggest things about baseball returning is the safety of the players there's still a lot of uncertainty there and they're gonna have to figure out what they're gonna do in terms of where they're gonna play because first of all I don't see them playing in front of crowds to start if they do start this year second of all I also believe that there's not going to be a lot of places that are gonna have the same rules still even a few months down the road whether it's Illinois or other states so you might have to play at some other sites, I guess, that would allow for it, whether you have fans or not. But, I mean, it just right now, it seems like they're so far off. They said that it's a starting point, the latest proposal, but uh, I, I don't know. It's It seems so far off. I don't know what's going to happen here. I really don't. I'm, I wish I could say I was optimistic about baseball happening this year. I'm just not. Not right now, at least. Maybe it'll change, but I I just don't feel that good right now. Well, it, it can't it can't really be a starting point because the, the they've got a soft deadline of June first. Well, that's uh, which what I'm, is, yeah, exactly. Which is like a few days away. So I mean, it's this is now is not the time to to start the conversation. Now is they they should have already had it wrapped up by now. Uh, I. I agree with you on the point that, uh, on your opinion that I, that there may not be baseball this year. If I had to, you know, if I had to pick right now, I would my best guess would be that there's not going to be a season. I don't think the two sides are going to come to an agreement. Uh that's the way it seems to me right now. Uh and I you know, it, it's this is really a PR game. It's a big PR game. Uh to me it looks like the players are winning the PR game. Uh, but I also think that, you know, the perception of, of this whole situation, uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of misunderstanding in what actually you know, constitutes how a baseball team is run and what all goes into it. I, it it's, it's a really, really, really complex situation. Well, here's what I'm going to say. I don't really sympathize at all with the owners. I don't. Um, I don't think that the top paid players, I don't really sympathize with them in terms of what money they get. But I mean, if you're going to take away more of their salary 
versus what they would play. I mean, it's a contract, so I'm not surprised they're upset about that. I'm just, I'm not. See, this, this, and and this is what I mean when I say that this is a big PR game, too. Uh, like, minor league guys, I really sympathize with them. Oh, big uh, time. And, you know, and part of this, you know, this is this is a classic case of life is not fair, where, you know, yeah, this really does suck badly for minor leaguers and players like that. Uh, but as far as major league players, I really have no sympathy for any of them. Uh, just in that, you know, comparatively to the rest of the world. And then, you know, that going back to the whole PR thing, I mean, we're, you're talking about, you know, somebody who was going to make $10 million now might make $3 million instead. I have no sympathy for that guy because there, there, there's so many people around the world and in this country right now that have no idea if they're going to be able to maintain their livelihood or not, that are on the verge of losing everything. And so, yeah, so the guy who might make $3 million this year instead, I'm sorry, I don't, I really, I, I don't have much sympathy for that guy. Uh, and, and mostly because this is a one-year thing, too. And, you know, I'm not trying to make it out that that one side is 100% in the right and one side's 100% in the wrong, but, but I do think that it's a bad look for the league as a whole that millionaires and billionaires are arguing over percentages when, you know, there, there's some people who really are on the verge of losing everything. I mean, look, I, I know people who've been laid off from their jobs and they're really not getting anything right now and they're really struggling. And that hits home to me. I just, I, what, what, what I struggle with on the proposal side is, um, you know, do you really expect the players union to say yes to deducting your salaries more than what you'd be potentially working for? I, I, I'm not saying I sympathize with what they're making, but of, of course they're not going to like that. And I mean, if it's on your contract, then yeah, I'd want to get paid too. I'm not going to pretend like if I was a player, I wouldn't want to get paid. Yeah, I, well, I, I mean, the, the the contracts, I mean, are, are you know... Uh, those those numbers are based on on the the scenario that 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 they play a full regular season and and under normal circumstances uh and as far as the prorated salaries go you know getting rid of that yeah it's it's not ideal but it was always a part of the agreement that prorated salaries were in place if fans could still come to the games and that's something that i rarely see anyone mention ever it was always the agreement that prorated salaries would happen if fans could still come to the games in a shortened season. It now looks like that is not the case. Right, I, I get that, but I also can't feel bad for owners with a crap ton of money either. Well, I mean, that's that's another thing where there's misconceptions, like a, in a Jeff Passan tweet recently where he he lays out what's happening with the Oakland A's organization. And yes, of course, that you know I feel badly for them. But tacking on at the very end, A's owner is worth $2 billion. I don't see what that has to do with anything. That's totally and completely irrelevant to the situation, is it not? Well, they they should have the money to pay those people. The well, organization should have the money. Part that, of, that, part the of money that they're paying them is barely anything. Part of what I'm saying, though, is that you know, there's there's when Jeff Passan says something like that, part of the perception is that the A's owner has $2 billion in cash laying around and he refuses to spread any of it out. 
Well, net worth does his not net worth, mean his net worth is not pocket, how much yes. he has in his bank account, right? It's a right. total of of all of his assets, which includes the team. You know, the owner of a business does not does not bankroll salary and everything else that goes into it with his own personal checking account. That's not how it works. I mean, you you have to think about it from the standpoint of how much revenue the a, the Oakland A's make, and think about think about the Oakland A's. You watch. Watch any go back and watch any Oakland A's game uh, over the past few years. Home games, uh, there's there's almost never very many fans in the stands. You know, compared to compared to a team like the Cubs or the Yankees, their ticket revenue is squat compared to those teams. And so it makes sense that they that they've they don't have as much money to deal with in these kind of circumstances. Well, I I can't speak exactly how much money they have. But to me, it seems like, regardless, what they were paying those minor league players, I, I really have trouble believing that they can't pay that. I really do. I, I well, get that net that's, worth that's doesn't the... equal money in pocket, but I'm really not convinced they, that they can't pay that. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's not about, I mean, I think it's easy for us to sit back and think that, that all MLB teams are just a bottomless pit of money but i mean there's so many things that go into it and, and you know like the oakland a's are going to lose a crap ton of money this year a ton of money people are losing their jobs in the a's organization around the league uh and and you know and that's the whole thing is we don't know i'm not gonna pretend like i'm a big economic business expert i just think that it's it's a shame that we might be sitting here with no baseball, even if baseball is able to be played. I also think it's a shame that it's kind of, this whole situation is kind of distracting us from the fact that, you know, the main reason that this is that the sport is not being played right now is because there's a pandemic. I mean, that's why it's not being played right now. There is a pandemic. Now, whether or not there's baseball is probably going to lie in the hands of these negotiations. I think everybody knows that. But when there is a pandemic like this, you know, you look around at the other leagues when they shut down and hockey's coming back. It's going to be very different. And when baseball does come back, whenever it does, it's most likely going to be very different. I just think that the ugliness of the next CBA coming up has really spilled into this situation. And I can't help but think that we're going to see no baseball this year and it's really just going to be hard-nosed negotiations with the CBA. I mean that's that's how I see it playing out right now. Yeah, I I don't think they're going to come to an agreement. Uh at this point it's I I'm 100% convinced that it all has to do with dollars. I don't think any uh I don't think any of this has to do with safety anymore. I think it's all about salaries and percentages. Uh you know, I, the occasional player might mention safety here and there, but I, I think that that's pretty much all ironed out. Their their main concern is the money, and I don't I don't see them coming to an agreement either. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it'll make for good trivia someday. When yeah. because it, it sounds NHL is coming back. It kind of sounds like NBA might be coming back too. NBA Not sounds right like they're the going to do some. Yet. Yeah, it, it honestly it just sounds like uh, yeah, a foregone conclusion that NFL is just going to go on like normal. Yeah. Uh even college football, the the 
the narrative seems to have shifted recently from wondering if we're going to play it just to when and maybe how many people are allowed to watch it. But yeah, I think maybe 50 years from now we'll say, you know, back in 2020 there was no baseball season. Yeah, kind of like the 94 strike, which yeah. everybody knows about that, obviously. And it's another interesting question to ask is if there is no baseball season do you think that we have similar ramifications to the 94 strike season well i think there's going to be a lot of soured feelings just like the 94 strike season there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of hurt feelings around just fandom because you know the game that they loved uh they couldn't watch I think there's going to be some people kind of turning their backs and I think there's going to be going to be some major changes because if they have to work out a new CBA, you know, things might really be affected by the fact that they didn't play at all this season. Obviously, when we were looking forward to the next CBA, there was already enough tension as there was, especially with like minor leaguers and that whole thing with uh, mm-hmm. service time. But if you had this on top of it, eh it's going to get worse. Yeah. I hope there's baseball. I really do. And I, I hope that the two sides can, can uh, settle their differences and come together and, and make something happen. Because I really do think that that would uh, make everybody's summer just that much better if they could at least watch some ball games on TV. But I guess my, my broader point is that, you know, Joe down the street, who's losing his small business probably doesn't have a lot of, sympathy in his heart for the MLB player who might only make a million dollars just for this year. Yeah. I mean, this, this whole pandemic has really affected a lot of people and it's, I've tried to be really sensitive to everybody who's been affected and people have been affected way worse than others. I mean, people have unfortunately gotten sick and some have lost family members and it's, it's a tough time. And you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there looking for the light right now. And we want to make sure that when things do get better for those who were really badly affected, that they can, you know, help be brought back to happiness. I think, I think it's our duty to be there for those people. Um, so we'll see how that progresses. Let's move on to some of the stuff I'd planned for this show. So the first thing I want to talk about really quick. There was a tweet last night because there was something on ESPN last night. It was another rebroadcasting of Game 7 of the World Series between the Indians and the Cubs. And there was a tweet saying that he was certain that the Indians would have won if it wasn't for the unnecessary rain delay the Cubs got oh so lucky to get. That's debatable. It is debatable. You don't know. And here's the point I always, always, always make. The Indians had a golden opportunity in the bottom of the ninth facing a Roldis Chapman who had nothing left. And they had some big boppers coming up, including Jason Kipnis. They had a golden opportunity to win that game right there. And they couldn't. They couldn't they couldn't muster anything off a guy who had nothing left. Now, yeah. did the Cubs rain delay probably help them a little bit? Yeah. It helped them regroup. But you know what? 
the Indians could have had a rain delay speech. They could have really rallied. They didn't really do much. According to them, they just kind of went out and hung out in the clubhouse. We we don't know what would have happened. We yeah, really you know, it's that's that's similar to a lot of things that people bring up. You know, it's it's easy to point to one moment as as being the catalyst for this for a whole series uh but people you know neglect to mention everything that happened that led up to that point you know as as if the indians you know as if everything that happened before the rain delay didn't happen you know what i mean right exactly i mean think about it if you play i mean it's natural to play coulda woulda shoulda the Indians don't score off the Cubs, and the Cubs come right back in the top of the ninth. What would have happened? I really don't know. Maybe they scored, maybe they wouldn't. You, you don't know for sure. I think you can say it's fair that the rain delay helped settle the Cubs down. It was a driving force for them. It was something that really worked to their benefit. But I just don't think it's fair that you could say and declare that if it wasn't for the rain delay, the Indians most certainly would have won. I don't think you yeah. can. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it's there. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. You know what you call that? An excuse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they didn't seem. You know, Cleveland didn't seem too upset when uh, in the 2015 playoffs when they got an extra timeout, which led to a LeBron buzzer beater against the Bulls. I'm, right. I'm I mean, there, there's there's a lot of things, you know, and if we, to stay on the Cubs, too, uh, it's it's kind of like saying Leon Durham was the only reason the Cubs didn't get to the World Series. Yeah. Or if if Steve Bartman didn't happen, you know, yeah. we would have caught the ball. They would have went on to the World Series yeah. when there yeah. were a thousand other things that went wrong to, to ignore everything leading up to that and use that as the primary excuse for why it happened is just ridiculous right and i mean you can also look at that game and say okay maybe it didn't rain that long was it necessary or not i mean when the rain started it was coming down pretty steadily and they got that tarp across the field it's not like they were delayed for an hour it was 17 minutes yeah it's you know and I get it, you know, the Indians lost a little momentum, but I also think that momentum means a little bit less in baseball than it does in a sport like football or basketball where the action is constant and and you can you can just sort of keep going at your own pace. It's not really the way it is in baseball. So the whole the whole losing momentum excuse, I'm not really sure if I completely buy that. I think there's something to it, but I think that they make more out of it than there is. If they had all the momentum in the world, they would have won in the bottom of the ninth. That's my opinion. Maybe. Maybe. You saw Chapman. You watched him at bottom of the ninth. Oh, yeah. He had nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had absolutely nothing. And Jason Kipnis missed some absolutely meaty pitches he could have driven. Yeah. Yeah, but to you know, to to go back to that and say, you know, if this would have happened, if this wouldn't have happened, those are still just excuses. Yeah, I mean, again, it's easy to play coulda, woulda, shoulda. What if Alou would have caught the ball? What if Leon Durham would have made the play? What if Bill Buckner would have made the play? 
which is an interesting one because people forget about Bill Buckner that when that play was made, the Red Sox already blew the save. The game was tied. They would have just gone to extra innings. You don't know what happens in extra innings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Cleveland fans team can say all they want about, you know, what, you know, if anything different would have happened, but you know, they, they could have, they could have also not blown a three, one lead. (laughs) That, That was an option for them too. They didn't have to let it get to game seven. Right. I mean, the Indians could have easily closed them out in five or six games. And, you know, the Cubs squeaked by in game five and blew them out in game six, setting up a game seven. And you know what? You could look at the Indians and say, well, they were a little banged up. I get it, too, because just as as sports fans, you know, anyone can relate to this. Your natural inclination after a close loss or a close series loss is to go back and overanalyze everything that could have happened different or that was close to happening different. It's just your natural inclination to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think all the time, all the time, I think about that two years ago at Soldier Field, if Cody Parkey's kick goes in, what could have happened after that? I think about it a lot. Yeah. 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 Stuff like that. I, I go back, uh, to Husker seasons and think, God, you know, just if this special teams play goes differently, maybe we go to a bowl game. I I overanalyzed stupid crap like that all the time too. I mean, the the, the Cody Parkey kick. I mean, that one, that one's way more of a knife to the heart than than stuff in recent memory. But but yeah, I mean, that's that's just naturally we we go back and and look at things that were really close to happening differently that would have led to different outcomes it's just what you do i'll tell you right now i often could have would have should have the chicago bears i'm just gonna tell you that yeah i because i think i think it people just have this burning desire uh to feel comfortable with how things unfolded because it gives them uh, a sense of ease going into the next game or the next season because it just makes them feel like they're that much closer to success. If you go back and say, oh, we were really close to having this go our way here, here, here. Uh, so if that if it just happens, you know, if the if luck is on our side next year, then we're going to be just fine. I, so I, I think that's what it's about. It's all about just feeling comfortable moving forward. Yeah, I agree. I think also it's really easy for me to say, yeah, they're just, you know, upset and salty or whatever. I mean, if I was on the other end of it and the Cubs lost, I'd be playing coulda, woulda, shoulda all the time. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just I just think it's really my whole point is I just think it's unfair to declare that, you know, that the Indians would have won if there wasn't a rain delay. Oh, of course not. No, that's that's actually just sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But. Anyway, I just kind of wanted to talk about that for a few minutes. Let's go into the main topic that I had for this show. All right. One Year Wonders. And I had this go to a vote on Twitter. And uh, the first part was the vote saying, what topic you want me to cover? One Year Wonders won. Um, And then I asked, who are your favorite One Year Wonders? And I got a few answers that kind of differently define one-year wonder, which is okay. It's, it's interesting. 
some people used one year wonder as the way I was thinking of as a random player who had one good season and then that was kind of it for him. Other people saw it as a cub who just played no matter how good their entire career was, they just played for the Cubs for one season. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you too, yeah, which which one, what your preferred meaning was. And I had some guys in mind for both, I guess. So because we've gotten so many answers on Twitter, I thought let's just go both. All right. That works. I, uh, if it was... If it was the latter guys, you know, no matter what they did in their career, who just had one season with the Cubs, the first one that came to mind just in recent memory was Chris DeNorfia, uh, because he he actually had a pretty nice career with the Padres mm-hmm. uh, before coming to the Cubs. A uh, little bit of a lull towards the end uh, of his career with the Padres, and not so good uh, briefly with the Seattle Mariners either, but was a pretty good role player for the Cubs in 2015. Yeah, he was. I really liked him off the bench. He was a good veteran. You could put him in there for defense. You could pinch hit in the season finale, or at least the last game at home um, in the regular season before the playoffs. He actually hit a walk-off home run, if mm-hmm. you remember, against the Royals. Yeah. Yeah. He was a very nice bat off the His bench and then became a coach. Shining moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good answer. Um, I'm going to read some of the answers um, that Twitter gave. And some are fun to look back at. So just to start with the players who were strictly just kind of had one good year in their career and then fizzled out. Because I think, you know, you could look at a lot. Popular answer is Jerome Walton back in 1989. He was a Cub who... Came up at 23, 1989, one of the great flukes of Cubs history. And he won Rookie of the Year, batted 293. And since then, didn't really do all that much. He wasn't a terrible player, but he was kind of a, you know, he was just kind of a there player. He's a 269 career hitter, so that's not terrible. But he didn't play a lot of games after that. He played 116 in his rookie year. And then he exceeded 100 games or more, only three more times in his career. And his final years as a Cub were not nearly as good. So he had that rookie of the year and then just kind of fell off a cliff. Uh, we could also, another one that people brought up, uh, remember Randy Wells? Randy Wells. See, that's that's a name that you know, if you hadn't brought it up, I would have never remembered ever again. Because in 2009, when he came up, you know, he pitched a few games in 2008, but it was like four, so it wasn't really Mm -hmm. much. And three of those were with the Cubs. One was um, with the Toronto Blue Jays. But he came up in 2009, and in 27 starts, I remember when he was called up, he had a 305 ERA. And his numbers were overall pretty good. He didn't strike out a lot of guys, but his command was pretty good, and he got outs. They could never hit for him. They they always blew it for him, or they could never score any runs. And this was kind of back when we we still kind of looked at win loss record, and we're like, man, he could have so many more wins right now, man. It's that was an often topic of conversation with him. And then since that 2009, uh, his ERAs went like this: 4.26 in 2010, so you know, pretty mediocre. 
499, not very good in 2011. And 2012 is final year, 534. So we just kind of fizzled out. That's an obscure one. It's obscure, but I remember him well. I remember him very well because he made 32 starts in 2010. I mean, he pitched a full year. He pitched almost 200 innings that year. And then he yeah. pitched 165 that 2009 year. Compared to all these other guys, this guy's whole career is kind of a blip on the radar comparatively. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. Um, it's also funny, too, because if you look at Wells in 2009, he was sixth in Rookie of the Year voting. So, you know, he w- obviously wasn't like in the top three or anything, but, you know, he was within that Rookie of the Year mm-hmm. range. Yeah, this this was a fun one to research, the the one-hit wonder guys. Uh, Tuffy Rhodes is one that stood out to me. Oh, that opening day. Mm, 1993, pretty pretty impressive, pretty impressive slash line, and then everything that came before and after was uh, not good, to say no. the least. He'll always be remembered for that opening day performance he had. Mm-hmm. You know who I got responded to the most in Who's terms that? of just starting out good and fizzling out. I got a lot of responses for this guy. All right. Brian LaHare. Oh, another good one. Remember when he was a beast in like April of 2012 uh-huh. on that god awful Cub team? Brian LaHare, man. He was an all star, too. Yeah. And let's man, he had a really short career, really, really short career. Yeah, only 195 major league games. He so, played in the minors. He played in Japan. Debuted with Seattle in 08, and then missed 09 and 10. Yeah, you know, I remember when he was a call up in late 2011. I was at a game in September, and he hit one of his two home runs that year when I was there, and he hit it to dead center. I'm like, huh, who's this Brian LaHare guy? And then in 2012, 2012, (laughs) 2012, uh, forget I said that. He started off so red hot. He got that all-star nod. Keep this in mind. Brian LaHare has more all-star appearances than Kyle Hendricks. That, to me, is kind of messed up. That is... When you when you put it in those terms, it does seem quite messed up, isn't it? I it, I mean anyway, <laughs> I I could go on that rant for a while, but you look at the final numbers on the year and they're they're not bad, but boy, do you remember when he dropped off after like the first two months? Yeah, pretty significant, and he could not hit lefty pitching to save his life. So, I, moving on to other guys, this I I feel I feel like I'm cheating a little bit here with this pick, uh, but I I remember him in that vein of being kind of a one hit wonder. Uh, one name that that popped in my head was Giovanni Soto, and I know that he doesn't quite qualify exactly for one hit wonder. Because if you go back and you look at his stats, he was very good in 2008, but he was also he was also good in 2010 too. Yes, he was. So it is not it's not fair to call him a one hit wonder. But when I think about his his career as a whole 
and the potential that we thought he had when he was younger, he comes across to me a little bit that way because I think that a lot of people felt that he was going to have a long career and and make multiple all-star appearances, and it just didn't turn out that way. You know, people did mention Giovanni Soto, and I'm so glad you brought him up because I wanted to talk about him. Um, I would not consider him the one-year wonder like some people remember him because everyone says, oh, yeah, he just had that great 2008 and kind of fell off. Mm -hmm. But then you added 2010. Yeah. You could argue 2010 was technically better. 2010 yeah, a... probably was better. Look at the slash line. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess it depends on what you value most. Uh, and I think that you need to look at the team as a whole, too, in both seasons to to really look and see what the team needed more of. Uh, you had a little, little bit more power in 08, uh, had some more RBIs in 08. Uh, but in 2010, he walked a lot more, uh, yes. and you you could make the argument that that was greater value in that season. Well, also remember this too: he played in 105 games in 2010. He played 141 right. in 2008. If he would have played 140 games, you see more homers, you see more doubles, you see more walks, you see more RBIs. Yeah, I think he was on pace to really kind of have a career year that year. He had a career high OPS. In OPS plus in 2010. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good that's a good point you make. That you know you could talk about the it looks it looks like a drop in power, but then you but then you look and see that he had you know over 500 plate appearances in 08 and not even 400 plate appearances in 2010. So you you could make the argument that had he played a full season, those numbers would have been similar. And so in, in the sample size that he played, it he was actually playing at a, at a similar pace, the power numbers, all that. Well, you can probably also make the argument that people recognized Gio so much more in 2008 because it was his rookie year. Technically, you know, he played in 18 games in 2007, 11 and 06 and played in one and 05, but that was his first full season. And in 2008, yeah. The Cubs had a million all-stars and they won 97 games in 2010. He was on a team that was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just sad too, because that after 2010, he, he just really never had it ever again. No, he never really regained form. I mean, he missed a lot of games, some injuries piled up, but I think the thing with Soto is you kind of see the ups and downs. Cause we remember how much he dropped in 2009 yeah right after his you know rookie year all-star campaign. And I think a lot of people remember that. But you could look at his power numbers and say, you know, the guy could always give you 15, 20 home run type power. And from a catcher, you will gladly take that. Yeah, it just, you know, after, 20, uh, after 2008 and, and 2010, I think that a lot of people believed that he was going to be what we, what we think Wilson Contreras is now. Right, I mean, because could... because I mean, Soto was only 27 after the 2010 season. I mean, he he was in the prime of his career after it just all went downhill. Right. What stinks for me is knowing that Gio Soto sometimes I think is a little underappreciated outside 2008 because I was a huge fan of him in 2008, and I think that. I think he deserves a little recognition for what he did outside of 08. It wasn't always pretty or great, but he did do some good things. 
Indeed. Okay, so here are another few names that people mentioned. Um, some people are still answering now, so I'm kind of looking through them. But, um, <laughs> boy, this is one of my favorite names. Bobby Scales. Bobby Scales? Not a bad baseball name. You remember Bobby Scales? No. You don't remember Bobby Scales. Okay. This was another this guy. This was another 2009 guy and the numbers aren't great overall. He was kind of like Arismendi Alcantara where he had like a nice little run even though the overall numbers weren't very good. He wasn't as much of a great player like wow, he was this big hit. He was just kind of that guy that was around for one year and was somewhat Uh, noticeable and then gone. Can we really call I'm I'm looking I'm looking at his his career numbers. Can we really call him a one hit wonder though? Was it really much of a hit? It wasn't as much of a hit. It was I don't I don't think he really is a big time one hit wonder. I think it was more (sighs) of just like a just he was kind of a guy for one year. Yeah. You know, if you're talking about it, yeah, in terms of potential but you know playing in 61 career games and hitting 248 i don't know that 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 one's been in the rules a little bit i would say here's one though do you remember jake fox again same year 2009 yeah jake fox that that name does ring a bell to me yes here's the thing about jake fox he only played in 82 games but he hit 11 home runs and 44 rbi and if you remember his significance it was because he had to come in and play for Ramos Ramirez who had the shoulder injury. I do remember that. 11 home runs for a guy that had seven career games before that in 82 games that season, 44 RBI filling in for your all-star third baseman. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not bad. I I think that I might have been watching the game that he had to come in. I think I might have been watching that game live on TV when that happened. Well, it was in Milwaukee. When Ramirez hurt his shoulder, that was in Milwaukee on a diving play down the line. It 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 rings a bell. I I think I was watching that game on TV. Yeah, that that wrong. was a that was a game where I just I like put I my remember. hands on my head. I'm like, oh no. Why? Who's their best hitter, Ramos Ramirez, and props to Jake Fox for filling in. Okay, so here's another name that had an interesting career. It wasn't just he had one good year with the Cubs, but he was with the Cubs for one year. And, you know, you look at the numbers and you understand the value for the type of guy he is. You remember the bridge year with Carlos Pena, mm-hmm. 2011? Had power, could walk, struck out a million times, did not hit for average. But that was mentioned several times. So I figured I'd just bring up Carlos Pena. That's that. That's fair. I, th- I think that's that's not a bad one. I mean, the dude could hit some tanks. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. That dude at, could really swing it. Yeah. Some of the, some of these names, I mean, like if you if you really dig deep into one one year wonders for the Cubs, 
they go back quite a long ways. Uh, like like most of the the standout ones uh, are guys you know way before our era. Uh, like one one guy I found, uh, Dick Ellsworth. Big year in 1963 for the Cubs. 22 and 10, 211 ERA. Not a whole lot going on outside of that season. Hmm. Interesting. I don't yeah, really he, know much about him. Uh, and 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 he actually spent eight seasons with the Cubs too. Wow. So he, he, yeah, yeah. So he uh, played just very brief debut in '58. Didn't pitch in '59. Uh, 1967 and 13, 372 ERA. Uh, fairly similar numbers the next season, 1962, 9 and 20 with a 509 ERA. And then after that season, 22 and 10 with a 211 ERA. And then he kind of dropped off and, you know, it's in the high threes and fours uh, pretty much every year after that up until 1971. But that one season in 63, he was he had like an Arietta esque year. Wow. You said 22 wins, right? That's a big yeah, deal back 20, then. 22 and 10 in 1963, 290 innings pitched, uh, 263 FIP, 1.025 whip. Uh, real good season. Yeah, I'll say. Yeah, I really didn't know much about him, to be honest with you. Yeah, see, that's that's why I said this was this was a fun topic to, to research, because you stumble across these older guys. Yeah, absolutely. You go way back on some of those. Um, because most of the answers I got, and this is no criticism to the people on Twitter, but a lot of it was a lot more recent. Uh, I don't really consider him a one-here wonder per se, but you remember when John Lieber, I mean, we were pretty young, but obviously mm-hmm. I think you know who John Lieber is. Yeah, He had a few solid seasons, but he really kind of made a name for himself in 2001. He was an all-star that year, and Look, I love John Lieber. He was the first guy I ever saw pitch. But also the fact that John Lieber has more all-star appearances than Kyle Hendricks is kind of whack. But again, no disrespect to John Lieber. He had a <laughs> he had a pretty respectable career. Nothing fantastic, but respectable. He had the dad bod going too. Yeah, he was yeah, he, he was did. a dad bod pitcher. He was a dad bod pitcher. Not quite like Greg Maddox, but <laughs> no. <laughs> No one will be. Nobody will be. Um, so we've had a lot of like answers for the, well, they were just a Cub in one year category, but these were good players. We had a lot of Aroldis Chapman's, Wade Davis, Nick Castellanos. So yeah, those are kind, kind of, of the know. obvious ones. Yeah. Right. But here's, here's one. Remember Nate Sheerholtz? Yeah. Nate Sheerholtz. Led the 2013 Cubs in home runs. Wow. Yeah. That's y- another. Yeah, can you believe that? That's that's another fairly obscure one. It's another name that I I probably never would have remembered had you not said it tonight. Well, I remember Nate Sheerholtz well. I just didn't realize that his numbers outside 2013 were nowhere near that productive in terms of power. Yeah. On production and even his slash line in 2013 isn't that good i mean hitting 251 with with the uh 21 homers is fine that's that's good but also you also have the 300 obp 
Yeah, I mean, it's just that he had, you know, some production, but there wasn't a lot of production going on um, that year much. Um, oh, and by, by the way, sorry, I made an error on that fact about Nate Scherholz. He was second in home runs. Anthony Rizzo was first with 23, but still. Okay, that that actually makes it a lot better because I was going to say, you know, that that says a whole lot about the Cubs that he was their home run leader. It year. still does. You know, it still does. You know, being being second, it still does say a lot. Yeah. I mean, Rizzo and Sherholtz were the only ones to hit 20 or more that year. Granted, Alfonso Soriano was traded away after 93 yeah. games, so he probably... It, I mean, it, it, but... it, it changes things. I mean, it, it still paints a pretty bad picture of the team as a whole, but, you know, Anthony Rizzo at least is going to go down as one of the all-time Cubs greats, whereas Nate Sherholtz is a guy who makes you go, who? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, my God. The 2013 team, my goodness. Anthony Rizzo at 23, Nature Holtz at 21, Soriano at 17 before he was traded. Next up, the only other guys to hit double-digit home runs, Deanna Navarro, Louis Valbuena, may he rest in peace, Donnie Murphy, and Starlin Castro. So if I told you after the 2013 season that two years from now they'd win 95 games, would you believe me? No. No, I wouldn't have either. No. No. Not even close. I know there were prospects in the system, but boy, I got to tell you, 2013... You just never know, though. You know, and, and also, you know, there's just that overwhelming sense of, uh, of dread, too, with the Cubs that just, you know, because it is the Cubs, it's bound to not work out. And things were just bleak that year, in my opinion, because... Mm-hmm. Anthony Rizzo, he had the 23 homers, but overall he struggled that year. Starlin Castro, he struggled that year. Those were the two main building blocks on the team for the rebuild. And they were not doing very well. And Jeff Samarja, another at the time who was a building block too, he had a eh, not not a bad year, not a, a great one like 2012. And Edwin Jackson, your big free agent signing, was a major flop. And (laughs) your best pitchers were Scott Feldman and Travis Wood. And eventually, Scott Feldman got traded away for Arietta and Strope. We didn't really know right away what we were getting in that. But Travis Wood was your only all-star that year. Man, I tell you, I, I was really upset when the Cubs did not get Jeff Samarja back after 2013. Or 2014, I mean. So you were a big shark guy, huh? I was. I I was I was overly optimistic about shark moving forward. Uh in hindsight, it looks like it was for the better though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe things would have unfolded differently had he stayed with the Cubs. I mean, that kind of I I suppose that that's debatable that you know that he would have put up better numbers had he stayed in Chicago, but, you know, not likely, but looking back on it, they made the right call. It worked out for the better. I mean, I (laughs) I think for me, it's less of Jeff Samarja's talent and more of they just didn't really need him. Because if you look at, if you look at what he did outside of that year, or at least I should say a few years, he had a few good years as a cup. He did. Uh, 2011, he was a really good reliever. 2012, he had success as a starter. 
2013, he was mad. 2014, he was an all-star and really good, and that's when they got the value for him in the trade. That was his best year. You know, since then, if you look at 2015 through 2019, it's been a lot of ups and downs, ending in a 431 ERA, a 413 FIP. To me, he's just incredibly average. He's got good command, but he's incredibly average. Man, 2014, when he when he went to the A's, just just think about what the the A's had in 2014. It, it's kind of crazy what they put together that year. And they got Jeff Samar, they had Jeff Samarja, they have Scott Casimir, Sonny Gray, Jason Hamill, uh, uh, John, John Lester. Lester. Yeah, the A's, man, that they really went for it, and they really got nothing. Yeah, <laughs> zilch. They got which nothing. is kind of crazy. Can they put? That's a pretty stacked group of pitchers they put together there. Yeah, they. I mean, yeah, that was that was a really nice rotation because you were getting Jeff Samarja on a career year. You were getting John Lester in his prime. You were getting Jason Hamill in one of his better years too. And, they and then nothing. It. They still blew it. You blew it. By the you way, had it I'll... all and you blew it. You blew it. By the way, can we just talk about how bad he was with the White Sox, Jeff Samarja? He was we bad. Can. Yeah. I mean, to say that would, would imply that he was better somewhere else, which I guess I guess 2016 was okay with the Giants. It wasn't great by any stretch. but It was solid. I would say, I think it's fair to say that his overall tenure with the Giants has not been good. It's been significantly worse than what they had hoped for and I'm sure what they expected. I mean, obviously, I'm sure the Giants were smarter than to believe that they were going to get 2014 Samarja for the next four years when he's, you know, when he's in his 30s, but... I think they were expecting better than like a four ERA overall. He's kind of just involved into the, he's the innings eater guy. I was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah. He's kind of been designated as that guy. Not going to, not going to do a whole lot for you, but he's going to eat some innings. Yep. I mean, the ERA last year looks pretty good, but the FIP was really up there. I mean, it's, it's kind of sad, but there is something to that in this, in this age of baseball, just, you know, everything else aside, just pitching over 200 innings is is somewhat valuable on its own. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, the Giants were only contenders one year with Jeff Samarja. And if you also remember, the Cubs teed off Jeff Samarja in the NLDS. Yeah. And then since and then, me. See, the, the Giants, another one, when when they had, they had Samarja and they had, they had Cueto. Uh, man, Qu- Cueto, he really dropped off in a hurry. Yeah, uh, I think injuries had and, to do with and that. Who, why can't I remember his name? The guy they got from the Rays, too. Uh, oh, Matt Moore? Matt Moore. Yeah, Matt Moore. Yeah, they had they had Matt Moore, Cueto, and Samarja all in the same rotation, didn't they? With uh, Bumgarner? Under Bumgarner, yes. Yeah, yes. That's, that's, that was another, on paper, pretty stacked rotation. But, yeah, Samarja, Samarja kind of hit a wall fast. Cueto was really, you know, he was not not the guy he was with the Reds and briefly with the Royals. But No. And Matt Moore was always just kind of a little bit overrated, I think. Yeah, he's he's more of a lower, lower of the rotation type guy. 
bit of a mid tier, yeah, yeah, at best, kind of a like one of the. It's it's always kind of weird how how these guys pop up trade deadlines. People seem to really covet like the top mid tier guy. Like there's there's just this really there's this one really desirable three or four spot kind of guy that people always want. Yeah, no, that's true. That's, that's like that's exactly true. who Matt Moore was. Well, look, remember when a lot of people wanted Zach Wheeler this offseason? Yeah. I mean, he's not an ace. Yeah. He's not a five-starter, but he's not an ace. Zach, yeah, Zach Wheeler's another guy who's who's just a little bit overrated, I think. Yeah. I think I think that that's, that partly has to do with our generation of fans. Like, we, we seem to gravitate, when it comes to pitchers and hitters, we gravitate towards home runs, and we gravitate towards velocity. And it's not as much, not so much Zach Wheeler's overall numbers that people romanticize. It's that he throws really hard. Yeah, and he can miss bats, see, but and yeah, people see big potential in that. But you know, the fact also remains is that Zach Wheeler is going to be thirty, and he's got a career three seventy seven ERA, which is good. But I mean, that's certainly not elite. It's not ace money. No. I got another name for you. I'm sure you'll remember him. All right. Remember when Tyler Colvin was a thing? Yeah, I do, actually. Hit 20 homers in his first full year at age 24 in 2010? Tyler Colvin. That's a, see, that's a good one. Some of, the, some of these other guys, we're breaking the rules a little bit because we're, we're spitting off seasons where, you know, in their best year, they hit like 220-something but did something else good. Tyler Colvin actually, actually had a really good season. He did, and you know, I still can't help but wonder if his career kind of derailed because of that impaled bat incident in Miami. You think, you know, like lasting physical, or do you think it's like a mental thing? A little column A, a little column B. Okay. Because you remember, if the doctors said that it came really close to like fatally piercing his heart. Yeah, that's freaky. And he was just never the same after that. I mean, he he never had, like, obviously, like, Kyle Schwarber potential. But there was yeah. definitely the power in that swing. He had a bit more holes in the swing, but he could, he could slug the ball. He had an 816 OPS that year. Yeah. Yeah, Ty, that's a good one. Did, did you come up with that one, or was that one, was that one of the names mentioned under the... Hole? I came up with that one. Nice, nicely done. I came up with that one right there. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, there. I felt like there was somebody else on that 2010 Cub team because we were talking about Soto in 2010, and I'm thinking, man, there had to be somebody else. Then I'm like, oh yeah, Tyler Colvin. No, also bad. on that, tw- also yeah. on that 2010 team. I know he had some solid seasons, but when it came with the Cubs. He pretty much had this one good season and kind of fizzled out. He was an all-star, their one all-star in 2010. You know who Ouch. I'm thinking about? Ouch. One I'm not all-star. thinking about Tyler Colvin. I'm thinking of someone else. One all-star in 2010. Mm-hmm. I feel like this should be easy. He came off a good season, in te- a few good seasons in Texas. And he was a solid player before he came to the Cubs. But when he came to the Cubs, he had this one good year. And then it all just kind of, it it didn't like skyrocket down. He had a, 
he had an okay 2011, but it wasn't anywhere near what it was like in 2010. It doesn't really qualify, but Marlon Bird, I'd bring him up. Yes, yes, yeah. I do remember Marlon Bird. That's it took me it took me a bit, but yeah, Marlon Marlon freaking Bird, man. Mm-hmm. And They're he had all star. He had a good long. He had a long career though. He had for a long career, only, yes. For only being an all-star one time, he played a long time in the league. Boy, you look at and all the teams he was like he played for. Total journeyman, yeah. Jeez. Since he left the Cubs, he went to Boston, New York, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, San Francisco, Cleveland. He was everywhere. Did he, did he ever spend more than one season on a team after his little Cubs stint? 2014, he spent that entire year with the Phillies. Ouch. And that was when the Phillies were pretty much, you know, they were past those prime years of, you know, uh, Ryan Howard, Cole Hamels, and Shane Victorino when they were contending. So he played played for nine teams. Nine teams. Nine teams in 14 years? Does that sound... Is that right? Let's see. His entire career, Philly, Texas, Cubs, Washington, Mets, Giants, Pittsburgh, Boston, Cleveland, Cincinnati. Whew. Most he played with the Phillies because he started there. Made his debut in 2002. That's impressive. That's that's really getting around. That's you know he's no Edwin Jackson in that regard, but that's no impressive. Edwin Jackson is just determined. He's going to play for every team in the league. It's going to happen. You know, he has had an unbelievably interesting career because (laughs) I mean he's played seventeen years. He's played with, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 teams. So almost half the teams. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> He's That's pitched... a lot of moving around. How, like, you would think in the, in the course of, of, of 17 years that you would want to ha- settle down somewhere. <laughs> I know. Just moving every single year would absolutely suck. And you know what else is funny? He played more games with the Cubs than any other team in his career except for one, which was the Tampa Bay Rays. Wow. And he played for the Rays. It was that that was before he was a Cub. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and he threw that no hitter where he threw like a million pitches with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Man. Has any player ever rode the coattails of their own potential as long as Edwin Jackson did. I'd have to look because I don't know. This dude has played for 17 years and his overall career numbers are incredibly mediocre. <laughs> that's I think that's putting it kindly. Too. Might be putting it kindly. They're not very good. Yeah. <laughs> it's it really is amazing. I'm looking it up now. I mean, he's he's bordering on almost having a five career ERA, and the dude is is approaching having been in the league for twenty years. Yeah, like, <laughs> I I think that he's he's got to be like blackmailing the commissioners or something. Like every commissioner that that, that baseball has had 
who who was commissioner before Manfred? Has there been how many commissioners has there been in Edwin Jackson's career? Well, Bud Selig was there for a long time. Did he just had he just had like have dirt on his bosses or something, and he's like, "Look, this is getting out unless you keep me on the team." I don't know. I, I feel something, like something is something is not right about this. Some something is weird about the fact that Edwin Jackson keeps coming back every year despite giving each team he plays for seemingly no value. <laughs> well, he I think he just keeps getting picked up like on minor league deals. Play, uh, teams just say it's, screw it. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at the you look at the list of teams uh, and, and what the teams were doing during those seasons when he played for them, you notice a trend that that he's he's getting picked up by trash can teams that just need somebody to just just eat pitch, innings, just to pitch innings, just to get it over with. And yeah. that's, I mean, that's that's kind of that's probably not the legacy he was hoping to have when he came into the league as a teenager. But you know, playing for seventeen years is. That in itself is impressive. Not a lot of I people just, can say that. Just don't know how he's managed to keep it up this long. <laughs> yeah, if you look at his numbers since 2012 when he was with the Nationals. So 2012 through his Cubs tenure and then pitching with the Braves, Marlins, Padres, Orioles, Nationals again, Oakland, Toronto, Detroit. So the past, I don't know, eight-ish years. Cumulative five one six ERA. You know, I think he had a very, very respectable nine fifty eight ERA last season. Yes, I'm, he did. Yeah, he was not bad at all in Oakland. That's the funny thing too. In twenty eighteen, well, at least the ERA was good. The FIP was four six five. That was just kind of yeah, but <laughs> yeah, it's kind. Of, it might be. It could. It's kind of an ugly three thirty three. It is. If you could watch every appearance, then three thirty three maybe doesn't look as good to you. But on paper, six and three, three thirty three is good. Good going, man. Hey, he was an all star in two thousand nine. He was an all star and he won a <laughs> World Series. So he's played seventeen years. Was an all star. Has a World Series ring. See, a, <laughs> to, Edwin Jackson's 2009 season does not feel like that was only 11 years ago. That feels like it was 20 years ago. I know, I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And remember too, Edwin Ed, Jackson played for both teams in Chicago. And this dude's only 36. I mean, coming into the league at 19 and pitching that long, it's it just feels like Edwin Jackson should be in his early 40s right now. I know. I know, right? That could be another fun topic of conversation in a future show. Players we think that are older, but they're really not. You know, uh, another fun fact about Edwin Jackson that I did not know? He was born in Germany. Yes, he was. I did not know that until I just looked at his baseball reference page. Yeah, I'm pretty sure his parents were American, but he was born in Germany. Interesting. So, yeah, I guess technically in some weird way we can say the Cubs uh, trotted out a German pitcher out there. Edwin Jackson for the Hall of Fame, man. Hey, you got to represent Team Germany. Let's get the petition going. What's the longest MLB career? That is a great question. You know, it's a really good question. If you can't can't get into the Hall of Fame based on your numbers. You 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 should at least have your name mentioned in Cooperstown just by being the player who played the longest. The Hall of Longevity. Yeah. 
Let's make yeah. the Hall of Longevity. Yeah. Like, if you played 20-plus years, you get into the Hall of Longevity. It doesn't matter how good you are. Okay, I'm going to look up. Most seasons... Okay, don't look it up. Don't look it up, because I just did, and I want to see if you can guess it. Okay, all right, all right. Okay, um, so you haven't looked it up? You don't, no, you, no, you no, haven't... no, I have no idea. Okay. I want to I see if you can just get it, because after finding out who it is, I feel like I should have known it. It's not an obscure guy. It is an extremely well-known player. Um, it's not Hank Aaron. No. Uh, not. Uh... It's you know this might be obvious, but as you would expect, it is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Okay. Um, was it uh was it Nolan Ryan? It was. You got yeah. it. 27 seasons 40s wow 27 years 20 he he played longer than i've been alive so far how many innings did he throw exactly let's see i'm I'm pulling up his baseball reference page right now he pitched 5386 innings and he threw hard imagine throwing that hard for that long yeah 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 dude was a stud i mean we, we don't have to tell anyone it's look at his numbers. Look how look. I mean, nineteen ninety one, two ninety one, twelve and six, two ninety one ERA, which you know that on its face is good. And but then you add to the fact that he was forty four years old when he did that. Yeah, <laughs> that is that's absurd. That's asinine. <laughs> I sound like sound like Hank Hill tonight. That is asinine. Oh, th- this is really weird for me to think. I was born in 1994. Nolan Ryan's final game was the year before I was born. He made his MLB debut in 1966. That okay? When you put it in terms, when you put it in those terms, it's weird. He makes his MLB debut shortly after my dad is born, and he ends his career shortly before I'm born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, when, just, mm-hmm. when you talk about it in those terms it, it sounds even crazier than it is when you just say he played for 27 seasons but yeah I, I mean what's what what is the average MLB career it's got to be it's got to be under 7 years i would think that's a good question i it, there's there's no way it's even close to double digits i can't imagine it is no probably not I mean, a lot of players do it, but if you look at how many, just how many players there are in baseball, just professional year, I know that the NFL is something like three years, I think. Which makes sense because the NFL is a brutal sport. So let's see that I I Googled it. And the first thing that comes up is 5.6 years. This is a thing from 2007. Uh, So that's, that's been a while ago, but I can't imagine that since then that that's really changed much. That sounds so, about right. So yeah, that that makes sense to me. Average career is around five years. Nolan Ryan said, "Screw that! I'll play for almost 30. Just amazing. It, it, I, I, it's it's mind blowing, mind blowing to think that Nolan Ryder just re- Nolan Ryan had just retired when I was born, and he made his debut in the mid sixties. And and what's even crazier about it too, I think, is the fact that he only played for four teams over the course of that that whole career. 
You know, if you, if you told, you know, these, you know, I think of somebody like Edwin Jackson, when you bring up guys who have played that long, I think of journeymen guys who in their twilight years bounced around a lot, but to play 27 years and, and only play for four teams over that span is pretty impressive too. I think. What do you think of him most as? <sighs> for who he played for? Mm-hmm. Probably, uh, that's that's tough. Personally, I think Texas, the Rangers, just because, like, okay, yeah. You know, Texas kind of fits his personality. See, I know he played in Houston, I, but I, I was, I was kind of, I was kind of going, I was kind of leaning the same direction as you, and maybe that's just, I, I want to say recency bias, but I mean, I wasn't even alive when he retired. Uh, I mean, the majority of his All Star years were with the Angels, though. Yeah, I think probably his best tenure was with the Angels. Um, his longest tenure was with the Astros. Yeah. I also think, too, I think of Nolan Ryan as a Ranger because of how many times I've seen him beat up Robin Ventura. Yeah, I, I think that I think a lot of people would go with the Rangers just just because of the just the novelty of it, of, of somebody being that good in their 40s. Yeah, it just stands out on a level that that you almost never see because you know, we, we're in agreement. I think the whole world is in agreement that yeah, his best tenure probably was in California. Uh, but you know, most of the you know the vast vast majority of the elite guys throughout baseball, all of their best years were when they were in their their twenties, early thirties. Mm-hmm. You almost never ever ever see anyone do what nolan ryan did in his 40s in any professional sport you don't see guys dominating in their 40s when he turned 40 he led the national league in era he led all of baseball in strikeouts and fip and also led all of baseball in strikeouts per nine innings when he turned 40 yeah it's fun to just watch highlights of his too just just mowing guys down with ease he made it's it just look like effortless a, a, a guy in his mid-40s doing that it's just it's fun to imagine him you know getting in his car going to the ball field destroying guys in their early 20s when he while he's on the mound and then going home and grilling some burgers for his wife and his kid who's home from college or something Dude probably downed beers in the dugout and just yeah. went out there yeah had a big like Texas barbecue brisket, just yeah. ate it up, and and you know what else is kind of a shame too? He played on a lot of bad teams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't like the win loss record. He has over three hundred, but if he played for good teams, he'd probably have close to four hundred. Yeah. Well, I mean, people nowadays are are, are a little bit more forgiving on bad win loss records you know obviously as, should to, be. as obviously today you know analysts and fans alike just don't value uh the win statistic nearly as much as they used to i still think that pitchers i think starting pitchers still do i think it's still a point of pride for them i think to to those guys it still means something to eclipse 20 uh, but the average, the average fan, average analyst, I don't, I don't think they really care much about 
win losses anymore. Right. Uh, I mean, honestly, certainly, this, this is a honestly, case to say why if, it's not good. If if anyone, you know, when we're talking about Nolan Ryan, if anyone is like, yeah, but he also lost 292 games, you know, you can just immediately dismiss that guy as a moron. I mean, the dude absolutely dominated. I mean, all those losses were probably very close. Look at just look at the numbers that he put up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing, you know. That's that's the life of a pitcher. You know, you can you can play a complete game, give up one run and lose. Yeah. Indeed. Nolan Ryan, what a guy. All right, well, um, we have gone pretty long tonight, so I think that's going to do it here Ooh. on Climbing the Ivy. This might be our record. I think it is. Hour and I 20 minutes. <laughs> hey, we got to fill time somehow, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank my co-host, Adam, as always, for coming on. A reminder, you can check out Cubby's Crib at cubbyscrib.com. You can also check out this podcast on iTunes.com. Also, be sure to check out Cubby's Crib's social media pages, Facebook and Twitter, for more Cubby's Crib content. Until next time, he's Adam. I'm Alex. Have a great night.